Well, it is Easter morning, the day that we are always looking forward to as followers of Jesus, because this is the day that we build our faith upon. If, if we did not have this uh, day to remember, this day to celebrate, we would just be um, people who uh, are big fans of some prophet. But the fact that Jesus was crucified and was dead for three days and then rose from the dead and the community of Jesus rose with him to become something that has literally changed the world for better, I hope, more times than not, uh, we get to celebrate today. And there's so much hope in this story of Easter. I, I prefer John's Easter story, so that's the one that I'm going to read to you and preach from this morning. It is found in John chapter 20, and I'll start with verse 1. <clears throat> this uh, John's gospel is just so full of symbolism and so full of reflections back to the Old Testament that uh, it's, it's just a fascinating gospel to read. It's, it's close to poetry um, with the amount of symbolism that's in it, if you, if you know where to find that. So this is John chapter 20, starting with verse 1. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So you'll remember that after Jesus was crucified and died on the cross, they took him down from the cross and he was placed inside of a tomb, a, a cave or a grotto, so to speak, probably more of a small cave than a grotto. And they had a large stone that they rolled in front of this tomb. And these tombs could hold several people. Um, this was likely a family tomb that was, uh, the story tells us, was donated so that they would have a place to bury Jesus. And, and that's where Mary goes on this morning. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who had arrived to the tomb first, then he went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. And as she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, 
Why are you crying? She replied, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he had said to her. This is the word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. And may God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. Amen. I think perhaps it would be appropriate this morning to set the scene a little bit for you before we really dive into the scripture itself. So I want you to imagine, which isn't very difficult to do when you read John's gospel, to imagine yourselves being in this story. You have been someone who has followed Jesus for a few years and have become close friends with him. You were with him at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You waved palm branches and maybe you threw coats on the ground. You were part of that political protest, so to speak, that took place. And you marched into Jerusalem and you saw what happened throughout the week. You saw him arrested. You saw his beaten body as he stood before Pilate. You saw him hanging on a cross, even though it was from a distance because you were afraid to get close for fear that maybe you would be next. And then you go and you hide. Terrified. Terrified of what might happen to you if you're found out to be one of Jesus' friends because he was believed to be an insurrectionist, a rebel rouser, someone to not be known to be around. You didn't want to be known as one of Jesus' close followers because The belief was that he was about to start an entire revolution, which, by the way, he did. However, it wasn't a revolution that we would call a revolution. Jesus actually revolutionized revolutions because his revolution is one of love, not of violence. Maybe that's one of the lessons that we learn today from Jesus, is that love is always more powerful than violence. Nevertheless, you find out through the Word, or maybe you're one of the two disciples, who, or maybe you're Mary, who went to the tomb early in the morning because you were just grief-stricken, and your grief was stronger than your fear, and so you go to the tomb And you're sitting there, you're prepared, you're stumbling through the dark, you're prepared to sit and to grieve over the loss of your close, close friend. 
your rabbi, your teacher, your partner in crime in the best ways possible, the person who taught you that love is real, the person who saw you and knew you and healed you and many, many others, and you wanted to grieve, but when you get there, you see that the stone is rolled away and Jesus' body is no longer there and terror strikes your soul. So you run to where Peter and most likely John were were hanging out and probably in hiding also, and you go and you tell them what you have seen. They jump up and they run as fast as they can, basically race to the tomb, and John gets there first, and he peeks in and he sees what's going on, and then Peter, as Peter was prone to do, just kind of kicks the door down and goes in. And he walks into the tomb and he sees that there is the burial cloth and there is the cloth that was over Jesus' face and he doesn't quite comprehend what has happened and he leaves and then John walks in and sees it and understands that something bigger is going on although we don't think he understood completely yet and the two of them leave. But Mary, Mary can't leave. Mary can't stand it. She's infuriated that not only would they do what they did to Jesus on Friday, not only would they humiliate him in front of as many people as wanted to watch, they, they, they made him look foolish, they made fun of him, they spat upon him, they pulled the hair from his beard, they did horrific things to him. And she can't believe that they would go one step further and not even allow him the dignity of being buried. And she's sitting at the side of the tomb and she's crying and she glances inside just to see for herself one more time and she sees two angels there and we don't know that she recognized them as angels. We only know they were angels because the gospel writer tells us they were. They want to know why she is crying. And she says, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have put him. She has no place to go and to grieve. And then Jesus happened to be standing by. And I don't know if this gives us a glimpse into Jesus' sense of humor I don't really understand why he doesn't immediately approach her and put his arm around her and begin to comfort her. But he says to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? This is one of the beautiful places in John's gospel where we get a reflection back to the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. John says at the very beginning of his gospel that essentially he's going to teach us of a new creation story. He starts it off in the beginning, which any reader of this gospel, any of the original readers of this gospel who were also aware of how the book of Genesis starts out in the beginning would know that this story, this gospel of John's, is the story of a new creation coming into be. And it just so happens 
that the major thrust of this portion of the story takes place in a garden. Jesus is both the owner of the garden and the gardener. He looks at Mary and says, why are you crying, calling her woman? Which could be any of us. Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And then Jesus says, Mary. And at that moment, she realizes that it's Jesus. It is the gardener. It's the gardener of her life. It's the gardener of our lives, standing before her, not just seeing her, but knowing her. It occurs to me that we live at a time when we seek to be recognized. We want to be noticed. We want to be friended. We want to be followed. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be retweeted. Whether or not we are truly known isn't the important part in our culture. Being recognized somehow has become the important part. And further, the primary claim to our being recognized is that we would be different from everybody else. It seems as though we're invited to not only note our differences, but to understand ourselves in light of our differences. To be defined by them. To be defined by what makes us different from one another than possibly what could bring us together and unite us in our similarities and in our similar struggles. And I wonder what the price is that we pay to be recognized by our difference and to be defined by our difference and to seek relentlessly to be set apart from everybody else instead of be in communion with one another. You know the drill. I'm white, you're black. I'm male, you're female. I'm rich, you're poor. I'm liberal, you're conservative. I'm straight, you're gay. I'm American-born and you're an immigrant. It goes on and on and on until we have a collection of distinct individuals, absolutely unique persons clamoring for the attention of the world all around them to be recognized based on what makes us different than what makes us similar. If you are a part of a group of people who have been marginalized based on your race, or your gender, or your orientation, it makes total sense to me that you would demand that those differences be recognized and affirmed rather than being denigrated and overlooked. And while I appreciate the importance of our differences, I have become more and more concerned that we've allowed the description to become the definer. And that the loss to us is what holds us together in common. 
To me, what struck me as I prepared for this particular Easter, the beauty in the Easter story was that Mary went from woman who has seen and acknowledged to Mary who is known. Because I don't know about you, but for me, however many friends I used to have when I was still on Facebook, I literally communicated with 10 or 15. Those were people who knew me. However many people follow me on Instagram or that I follow on Instagram, there's very little real communication that takes place that allows them to know me and allows me to know them. And my fear is that we have allowed that to become our reality instead of this. That's why I think having faith in Jesus, believing that God is personal and is interacting in our world and in our lives is foundational to my belief. If I for a second thought that God was distant and far off and didn't know who I was and even know who I am and know what I want to be about and know what causes me to struggle and what causes me to grow, if I didn't think that God was involved in my life, I would find a new line of business to get into. Because I believe with my whole heart that God knows me and God loves me. And that doesn't make me special. Because God knows you and God loves you also. You are not just man or woman. You are known. And so whatever has happened in your life over the last 12 months or 12 years or 12 sets of 12 years, you are loved. There is always hope for resurrection. There is always hope for new life. There is always hope. What happens after Mary realizes all of this is one of the most powerful things we can read in Scripture. She gets up and she goes and she becomes the first evangelist. The word evangelist in Greek means the bearer of good news. And the way it would work in ancient times was that if there was a battle taking place in some far-off place that would have been 10 or 15 or 20 miles away in ancient times, there would be an evangelist that would be a witness to the battle. And when the battle was over, the evangelist would come running back and would be yelling, good news, good news, good news. They are the bearer of good news if the victory was won. Mary is the first evangelist in our faith. She goes back to the men and she says, good news, good news, good news. He saw me. He knows me. And he knows you. And he's not leaving us. He'll be here soon. Friends, 
you are known. The things that you don't want known about you, they're known also. But guess what? Jesus sees you for exactly who you are and loves you. And because Mary was seen, she could see. And because Mary was known, she could know. And because Mary was loved, she could love. And because you are seen, you can see. And because you are known, you can know. And because you are loved, you can love. Despite and in spite of the differences that we all have. Because those differences are necessary, but they are not what defines us. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.